0: Welcome to the Cultural Humility Podcast presented by Indigenous Vision. We're an educational nonprofit based out of Montana and Arizona. This is a special series focusing exclusively on the Cultural Humility Framework. This model is sourced from the Train the Trainer session taught by Dr. Melody Turbulon and Dr. Jan Marie Garcia, along with their published article. You can learn all about this through our website indigenousvision.org/slash cultural humility. That is also where you can learn more about our upcoming training sessions. Thank you for listening. Cultural Humility, People, Principles, and Practices. Welcome to the Indigenous Vision Cultural Humility podcast series, part one, where we explore the model of cultural humility. The cultural humility model provides a method to advocate and maintain accountability by redressing the power imbalances in our communities. For over two decades, the model has replaced the insufficient notion of cultural competence with a cyclical approach that embraces critical self reflection as a lifelong learning process to create a broader, more inclusive view of the world. I officially became a trainer back in 2021. And cultural humility has changed my life immensely. My name is Melissa Spence. I am part of Indigenous Vision, and I am here with our executive director, Suta Last.
1: Hi, Melissa, so good to see you again. Yeah, cultural humility has really changed my life too, in, in terms of being a trainer and getting to lead groups through these dialogue sessions, but then also as an Indigenous woman and all of that imposter syndrome I was carrying around with me, which was like flat out oppression, and microaggressions that I just had adopted into my own personality in it. and once I learned culture humility and then these agreements that we'll talk about, it really helped take those words that were put on me out of my own life and really help find my own power and that's part of cultural humility it's it's uh, one of the latter principles of finding your power and redressing power so that it's more equal for everybody the first
0: principle that is involved with cultural humility which we'll get into a little bit later though is critical self-reflection which has probably been the most useful tool for myself personally as well Acknowledging the scripts that we just automatically follow in our society, to take that step back and look at yourself and the way you move in the world and the way you even be in the world has been such a life-changing experience. And I credit cultural humility for helping me address my own personal scripts that I follow and had you know, assumed were just a part of my actual organic being, which in the case is not which is really amazing. So I've kind of woken up to the whole cultural humility aspect of my life and how I personally move about the world. So there's a lot involved in cultural humility, which is why we decided to do you know, a multiple part series just specifically on cultural humility. I know the term has been thrown out around there. A lot of people, their ears definitely perk up because I think that when it comes to cultural humility, maybe there's a subconscious attachment to cultural competence, but we're not hey. that.
1: Right. Let's uh, just take a minute to quickly identify that elephant in our, our room, because we are proponents and advocates of cultural humility and that method as being one of the best methods of creating diversity and inclusion in your workplace and in your community. I just want to talk about cultural humility versus cultural competency. What have you thought about that as a new trainer? It was mind blowing as someone
0: who actually never went through an official cultural competence um, training. I have experienced uh, a lot of my colleagues though over the years go through it. But one of the biggest moments of like, aha, was that, there's no end point when it comes to cultural humility in regards to learning expanding and growing whereas in cultural competence you take a course and you suddenly feel as though you're an expert in that course for whatever culture that you may be interacting with which is completely different from what cultural humility is so that's it kind of takes the pressure off of having this pressure to know everything all the time when you can actually just learn as you go about your life which is what cultural humility really is and the unlearning process as well
1: oh that part is probably the most important part of cultural humility is unlearning all of this junk that we have adopted and carry around with us in our our internal dialogues and our assumptions and our biases that that will never really go away unless we take the time to check them and so, and that's where Culture Humility originates from is the healthcare industry. Culture Humility is a curriculum founded by two amazing women, doctors in the Oakland hospital area. We have a previous interview with Melanie Turvalon, if you want to scroll back through that. But they were in the Oakland Bay area during the 90s, Rodney King beating and the race riots that were happening in the waiting room of the hospital they worked in. And so they were charged with this responsibility of bringing everybody back together after that. And that's how they came up with cultural humility competency versus humility, there's a lot of, I guess, contention around those two topics because because competency has been around for decades. And we're learning that that's part of like a regular workplace training. That's part of regular skills development. But in recent decades, it's also identifiably being one of those areas where abuse is seen pretty consistently in the fact that Many doctors and nurses, so many examples from the Canadian indigenous healthcare experiences are abusing their power and this idea that doctors are supposed to know all and be all and not not actually be able to say those words, you know, I'm not sure. (laughs) We'll have to look into this. Like doctors are not really supposed to say, I don't know. (laughs) But um, Joyce Khan, we do this for her. Brian Sinclair we do this for him. These are two individuals, uh, indigenous people who have had their stories in the healthcare systems just explode and get a lot of mainstream attention in Canada, not here in the US. I think these stories are happening here, but they're just going unheard because we don't have that mainstream access to media like Canadian indigenous folks do. Competency versus humility is more about competency has been around, it's what we know. People are adverse to change to begin with. Humility is this newer concept coined by Turvalon and Murray Garcia, and it requires us to not have an ending point. It requires us to not say we are competent in somebody else's culture, which is something I really identify with because as a Blackfoot woman, I share in class a lot that I had a my first midlife crisis when I was a very young girl. And my grandpa took me aside and said, you know, You don't have to learn everything that there is about being a Blackfoot woman. That's why you have a family. That's why you have a community is because you figure out what's good for you and you go and you flourish and you bloom in that area and whatever you don't know. That's what community is for, which is beautiful, I think. So I, I was never, I had that responsibility of like, oh my goodness, I have to learn the culture. I have to learn the language. I have to learn the ceremonies. I have to learn 5,000 songs of my family bundle. And it was just, and then additionally, I have to learn the white man's language. I have to learn the white man's business language. I have to go into that world and then try to advocate for my community. And at the time, as a young child, it was a lot for me to put on my shoulders of like saving the world practically and that very first morsel I suppose of culture humility taught by my grandpa is that we do have to rely on our community members for places where our knowledge falls short and it's okay to admit that you don't know all that brings us to the agreements and the agreements are part of of what keeps culture humility a daily practice in your life. And the agreements are, you know, a lot of people think agreements at the beginning of your meeting or your team meeting or conference are kind of like silly things to do team, team building and establish where the bathroom is. And <laughs> but these agreements are kind of guidelines for interacting with other people. And some of them seem silly. Some of them seem really elementary i guess to speak so to speak but um they're really the basic tenets of how to treat another human being without exerting your own life onto theirs like projecting right mm-hmm.
0: sure. yeah for me this is me practicing the i statement agreement which we'll talk about shortly but when it comes to the agreements when you're about to engage in this dialogue of cultural humility because i'm sure if you're listening and you've never really heard about cultural humility it's kind of like a weird concept to maybe wrap your head around right now but when you start to engage with people it's almost like you're unlearning and learning a new way to dialogue something that was lost previously due to just our societal ways of interacting so we're learning a new way to engage more authentically honestly respectfully and organically is the way that i see it so when it comes to the agreements it's really good to just really take that time and and literally think about how you are going to interact with whomever you're around because cultural humility is co-learning so it has to be done with others it's really putting aside the individual learning on your own, as in the cultural competency structure, you're really engaging with people as a group and as a community, which is how, in my personal opinion, how humans are meant to engage and move about the world. As we get to the agreements, just think about how you can apply these to every interaction that you're about to have, even today.
1: Yes, the beautiful thing about cultural humility is once you learn, these self-reflection tools. So this is not a concept, everybody. This is not a concept. It's a model. There's curriculum and there's practices and tools. Most people don't find these tools as tools that something you can use, like like a real physical tool you hold in your hand. These are self-reflection tools to actually kind of ruffle through your, or, or I guess file and scan through your personal life experiences and how that thinking and those experiences are projecting onto your present experiences. And if we don't think about those past experiences and how they've influenced our thinking and our decision making, then we're not going to be able to disrupt anything harmful, period. So we need to be critically thinking people. But let's get to the agreements. So we, I feel like we might even have to have a part two if we don't get through this list, because it's a big big list of agreements. And if you're a trainer and you've gone through one of our cohorts, this is our first activity to break the ice and have some group dialogue in the first fifteen minutes of the training session. And so that's to popcorn style. Raise your hand if you want to read an agreement and say what it means to you. So me and Melissa are just going to go back and forth and have a little bit of dialogue and show you what the activity looks like. So the first agreement, is to listen as if the speaker is wise and listen to understand and this has so much meaning to me as a Blackfoot woman who was raised as traditional as you can be in our modern world. Because I come from such a different society and culture, children historically were looked at as wise people which is different from mainstream culture because of their connection to the spirit world because of their connection to possibly their last life that these children come into this world with way more wisdom and knowledge than we actually give our children credit for and so I was raised with newborn babies are wise people coming into this world and we can learn a lot from them before they're programmed i suppose and poisoned with our ideas of the way things are supposed to be so that means a lot to me as a woman a blackfoot woman in terms of my cultural interpretations of the world and then also you know i i have a pretty vivid memory of getting in trouble when i was being that bad kid saying you know getting told to do my chore and then i'm like yes yes i know and then my grandpa who is known to have a temper, you know, says, ah, shoot, kids, you guys can't say, you know, you guys can't say, you know, because it doesn't even matter how old you are you don't know. And what he was saying to me at that time is that it doesn't matter how many times you buck bales and stack them in the the shed. It doesn't matter how many times you think you've done it. Each situation, each person you deal with is different and comes with knowledge that they can share to make your world better, make your experience better. And it's just good to, to do every interaction as if that person is the most wise expert of their experience how beautiful is that what about you that's so beautiful listen as though the
0: speaker is wise has really shifted my listening abilities to really just genuinely pay attention to what is in front of me or what someone is saying You know my background is in radio it's extremely fast paced a lot of really quick interactions with people a lot of it's just quick 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 i've i have a background of being super fast and super quick and i have a tendency to interrupt sometimes which is something that i've really learned to get a hold of since engaging in cultural humility and to listen as though the speaker is wise has really made me check my i don't want to say is it toxic to be moving through the world super fast as far as communication goes, it just made me slow down and realize the way I communicate with people, which I always thought I was such a high-level communicator. Maybe I was just a really, really quick communicator. But listening as though the speaker is wise has really made me slow down and engage with people more organically and truly feel their being, like just being in their presence of their essence of who they are. And it's been life changing. And I find myself doing it even with random strangers on the street. If someone comes up to me when I'm walking down the street and asks for directions, you know, five years ago, I would just quickly point and blow them off. But I'll like stand there and I'll listen to what they have to say. I'll look at their look at them in the eyes, just really engage with them. And it's been totally life changing. It's really made me also not have as many assumptions about people as well. When you really give the time to to listen to someone and what they're trying to say to you and catch your thoughts too while you're listening so that you're not trying to interject what you want to say next or overanalyze what they're saying. It's just listen and absorb it. You don't have to prepare anything else. You don't have to get ready. It's just listening to somebody else peacefully
1: so beautiful and the second half of that agreement is to listen to understand which is which is what you're talking about is most times i think we live in a fast paced world where we're trained and we train ourselves to listen to respond or to yeah. react Especially so, when I had the you know time is
0: money mentality i'd be like let's get to the point let's get through this and now i'm just like no, no 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 no, we got time to actually engage here and listen to each other and fully understand like there's time for that now. Which is crazy to reflect on on all the years and all the people i've interacted with I, I now listen as though the person is wise and I listen to understand genuinely.
1: Yeah. And it just really is kind of what that disrupts is it disrupts superficial encounters. And it's so amazing to genuinely connect when you like, don't go out to like, I'm going to meet a new person and (laughs) I'm going to get to know them and I'm going to get to know about their life and their interests. And then you're listening, listening, and you're listening Actually, in that scenario, you're listening to respond, to identify, compare, actually, like if, if I'm talking about just myself going out in that mode, but listening to understand and listening to the, as if the speaker is wise, is one great disruption to those superficial water cooler talks. And and I think that can help a lot of people avoid misunderstandings because what these do is it encourages dialogue into where we come from and why we feel the way we do about things. And then as a listener, we really get to know our lifestyles, our cultures. Second agreement is practice I statements when speaking we learn this a lot in school, right? Yeah.
0: Is that school
1: where we learn this? (laughs) I, have this has been life changing
0: for me as a major generalizer. I am a major generalizer and I still struggle with it. Even today, every day I have to acknowledge before I say something or make a generalization. I'm like, wait a minute, Melissa, you don't really know what everybody else is going through you have to just speak for yourself and i'm i'm noticing i'm i'm checking myself before i blurt out what i want to blurt out and i'm like wait no this is just me referencing myself and my experiences so using an i statement has been huge in my transformation as far as personal growth and how i communicate with people and to just stop generalizing so much because it's just not a true way of communicating I don't really know what people are going through. I genuinely do not know other people's journeys. I can't just assume that we're all part of this group. I can only speak for myself.
1: Well, And this is one of the agreements that I I feel like I've unconsciously or I've unknowingly been following for a little while because early in my career, I really hate to categorize myself as an activist, you know, everybody. I'm just a Blackfoot woman. I was raised as traditional and cultural as you can be in in the 21st century. I found out through speaking to large crowds, conferences, presentations, keynotes early on in the career that I couldn't just say the Blackfoot community thinks this. <laughs> Indigenous people think this. Um and you know what? I have a really great background. I grew up you know, poor on the res, all of those disproportionate statistics. Those are my family and my community. You know, there's the bad stuff, but there's the good stuff as well. But I had my experience, which is, it could be generalized as that, you know, res life experience, (laughs) but my experience is much different. Than my sister's experience and that's what we what it really comes down to is when you're meeting even members of the same family two sisters born within two years of each other the same parents same community same schools can have radically different experiences and neither of those sisters can say we or you know it's more it is kinder on yourself and your community and others to speak directly from your own experience and i feel as a as a speaker and an advocate that my experience does mirror a lot of my my community members But it's more powerful when I put it in my own story.
0: It's way more powerful. I was just thinking of how when I detached from that generalized outlook, I have more pride in just my personal journey, just to know that I have experienced so many great things or not so great things, and I'm still the great person that I am, just to realize that my personal journey is completely unique to anybody else, even like you said, immediate family members. It's completely different.
1: Yes, we are individual people with individual minds and experiences and spirits. And we all perceive and collect the information around us in a different way and process that information in a different way based on those previous experiences. And so it's really important to honor those. And that's where it brings you back to that first agreement is listen as if the speaker is wise and use your I statements. Third agreement is to remember and operate under the idea that it's okay to respectfully disagree.
0: This is the one that I have trouble with the most. Like I said, I'm a big generalizer. I've been opinionated over the years. I've got my own toxic communication styles that I'm unlearning. Colonialism has deeply impacted the way I view some people in society. And I I still struggle with... Trying to embrace everybody despite everybody's personal beliefs. And when it comes to disagreements, I am slowly learning that it's okay to have completely polar opposite beliefs and values in this world. We can still coexist and be, I can be a good person still, even though I have mm. completely different beliefs and I may not be for everybody. And I will run into people that are going to have really strong disagreements with. And it's, okay to disagree see i'm even struggling just talking about it because (laughs) i'm someone who would like go head to head with someone that i disagree with and really try to prove my point but after doing that for years i'm like it doesn't really matter because we're on our own personal journeys i'm just going to stick to my side of the street keep doing my thing and it's totally okay to disagree in fact it could even be an opportunity to grow and learn more about other people
1: Exactly. And I think that's, you know, I think the state of our nations and the state of our communities is really suffering from this idea that we have to fight, fight for what we believe in. We have to fight to make our points heard. And I'd say, you know, you're talking to me, like, yes, I fight for what I believe in, but I've, I just do it in different ways This culture humility training is me fighting for what I believe in, fighting that I I really believe that people who vehemently disagree can come to the table and find something that they do agree on. And it being okay to respectfully disagree, I think if it's a common value that's taught to our children, then it'll eventually become a less violent society. Yeah. Because disagreements lead to violence, right? They
0: do. And this is where I have to reflect on my personal cultural Anishinaabe teachings is to when I have that moment of disagreement, or I'm really having trouble understanding the other person, I have to really step back, reflect and put on the humility, compassionate, respect and love lens, and try and see this person from how a true, you know, Anishinaabe would see them with love and compassion. And as difficult as it may be, I do learn something every time that I I, attempt, or even try to see a person in that light. So when I come across people that I disagree with, I'm okay with it now. It's hard still, but I am okay with it. I can move on. I can continue and I can be compassionate enough to know that we're on our own journeys and we can still go through life and it's not that big of a deal. I'm still doing the good work.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, my overthinking mind (laughs) (laughs) It <laughs> goes, too. So how do I agree with like a member of the Ku Klux Klan? And- oh, right. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, there's this it is a double edged blade, right? Like, how far do we let these go? Like, you know, I think it's OK as long as your beliefs and your values are not actualizing into physical violence against somebody or harm against somebody. And that includes policymaking, too, for me. Yeah. Wow. That's a that's
0: crazy to bring up, <laughs> but yeah, it, it is trying to look with a compassionate lens on a group like that is so challenging, but it can be done. And the best way, the, what I rationalize in my head is like, they have a different journey that I just cannot completely understand. Their values are something that is so different from mine. I'll never maybe fully understand, but I can just keep doing my journey, and that's what it keeps going back to. Is I'm just going to keep doing me, and hopefully, we never have to truly interact or something like that.
1: You know, victims of scripting, as yeah. Marie would call it, is that's where the Anishinaabe value of love and compassion comes out, and that's what I, where I would pull from is like if I'm speaking, if I ever found myself in a group of known clan members i i probably would have a little bit of compassion for them as as products of their community who didn't learn any different Mm -hmm. and then it's supported by that community as never being any other way and that's where we get to that saying that's just the way things are which is a saying that really digs in my side because you know i'm Change is just as hard for me as well, but I have a little bit of training and my master's is in innovative leadership and change management. So there are steps to change that you can take, and that's for your organization, your industry, your community, your person. Change is hard no matter what, but it's okay to respectfully disagree. Slavery ended because somebody disagreed. And that disagreement went back to this like I don't know our our basic human instincts of fight for what you believe in, and then we had people fighting for uh maintaining ownership of people as slaves versus freeing these people because they're people. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just i uh, this this crazy idea of owning people is just crazy to me, and I, I laugh I'm laughing at it because it's a saving mechanism my mind has done for trauma over the past. But fourth agreement is to take risks. Ooh.
0: Take risks. I love taking risks. My whole life, my whole life has been risky. Right. But when it comes to cultural humility, I think it means something else. Or for me, it means taking, almost like having courage to say what is truly right, which goes back to another Anishinaabe teaching, having courage do you have the courage to do what is truly right? Can you take that risk if maybe your reputation is on the line at work, or maybe this is going to affect how you're seen in the world, perhaps, which is something I let go of years ago. So I have committed to having the courage to do what is right and move with cultural humility in all aspects of my life. For So for me, that's what taking the risk is, is to go against the grain of society and go in this new direction of cultural humility and having the courage to speak up for myself when I see something or feel something that is not right to me.
1: Right. And I think that also falls back on the okay to respectfully disagree early, early in my education. I was trained through the Environmental Studies Department at the University of Montana to enter into these hard conversations, right? Like nothing in land management or environmental management is going to serve everybody unless people who disagree come to the table and find their common ground. And so as a young blackfoot indigenous woman i found myself in at the table with bison advocates from the buffalo field campaign and ranchers surrounding yellowstone trying to protect their cows from brucellosis and as an indigenous woman i am hands down full belief in bison restoration and prairie restoration going hand in hand. You know, there's been no known cases of bison transmitting bursalosis to cows and what bursalosis does is it makes the cows drop their, their calves and too early, none of them survive. What's not often talked about is that elk are the primary carriers of bursalosis and the the complexity of the issue of having this Western lifestyle and ranching and hunting, you know, you choose cows and elk, but then identify bison as the one that's like, and for me, you know, for many people who don't know, I may digress a little bit here is that was American policy. It was Canadian policy is to federal governments had premeditated policies to exterminate wolves, bison, and Indians. And they thought that and it's written in, in many journals, generals journals, that if you exterminate the bison you will effectively get rid of the Indian as an advocate Of my people, (laughs) of indigenous people, of a person being against genocide. I also am against the genocide of other species, which includes wolves and bison and all of that. So I I come in with a lot of like historical, fundamental values and knowledge of history and policies and relations between settlers and indigenous people, and the state of, you know, my indigenous people's memories of what this land used to look like. animals that used to run across this land and how abundant and beautiful it used to be with their presence. And so that's what I came to the table with. The ranchers loved their uh their cows and their hunting. The buffalo field campaign people wanted to preserve the bison and I'm unsure now because I, I've fallen out of this, this uh, conversation, but I I also know that some organizations, while they're well-meaning like PETA, also are not very good for Indigenous people's food sovereignty because they see this idea of vegan veganism and eating as no animal shall be harmed. But what that does is it... It pulls humanity back into this like superficial life where we completely ignore all of these relationships that people have had for thousands of years and have developed cultures and ceremonies and processes based off that, all rooting back to original agreements between humanity and this animal species, this animal nation. And I do believe at one point in time, you know, people in the Bible believe it, that One point in time, a long time ago, there was a different means of communication between humans, our environment, and our animals, the animals that existed in in it. I digress though, but take risks, take risks. And it's okay to respectfully disagree. Use your I statements, listen to understand, but take risks because none of those, I mean, we can just continue fighting, right? Let's continue fighting and let's continue disagreeing. But at what point is that a waste of time, a waste of money, a waste of energy? Where do we find our common ground and how do we understand that? But it's going to take a risk to get there and to, I guess, lower our defenses and, and figure out where we go from here. That's all we have for you today. We're only halfway through the agreements list and we're going to do a part two on that just to keep uh, your listening schedules easier. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. And we look forward to seeing you at our next training.
0: You've been listening to the Cultural Humility Podcast presented by Indigenous Vision. If you would like to sign up for one of our trainings or find out when our next training is, visit our website indigenousvision.org slash cultural humility. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Indigenous Vision, an educational nonprofit, and on Instagram at Indigenous Vision Media. Visit the show description for this episode to find all the links for more on cultural humility.